You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Well, good morning, Castle Hills family. It is so good to be here. It is so good to uh, worship together with you this morning. Uh, My name is Andy Rodriguez, and for the past 15 years, uh, you all, Castle Hills Christian Church, has been a supporter and an encourager to me and to my family as we have been in Nagoya, Japan, as a pastor and church planter with Mustard Seed Network. Uh, Before I get into the sermon uh, this morning, I just want to take a brief minute and to say thank you to all of you. Uh, Because over the past 15 years, um, as we've lived in Japan, uh, we've been able to start a church in Nagoya, Japan, and that church has uh, grown and many people have come to faith, but also we've been able to plant uh, six more churches, so we are about to start our seventh church in the city of Hiroshima, and our goal is to plant 12 churches in the 12 largest cities in Japan. And um, I just, uh, for the past 15 years, all of you have been unbelievably encouraging to my family. Um, You guys have been there when we have needed you through good times and through very hard times. Um, And I just wanted to say thanks. Um, Thanks for your investment in the kingdom in Japan. Uh, Now, after 15 years, our family has now transitioned back to the States and we're heading into a completely new uh, season of life and ministry. And we're super excited about that. Um, We're gonna miss our friends and our ministry in Japan deeply. Um, but we are looking forward to what God has for us in this next season. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you so much um, for your, all of your support over the years. And I wish I had more time to talk with you more about what God is doing in Japan and what he has been doing recently. And maybe uh, if I get another chance to come and share with you, I'd be happy to talk with you more about that. Uh, but for today, I want to preach um, from Mark chapter 14. We're in a series going through the book of Mark right now. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it to Mark chapter 14. We'll get to there in just a little bit. But as we begin the sermon today, I want you to think about one of the best memories that you have. Okay, memories can be a a very powerful thing, right? Like you can remember something that happened to you in the past that can have very real physiological effects on your body, right? Like you might have memories of the first time you saw the love of your life, and even today, your heart might start pumping faster. Or the time that you held your first baby. Other memories, they can stir up in us deep pain. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or, or the past, uh, a past hurt that you have had. Memories are so very powerful and they shape the way that we live today, which is why um, there are memorials that help us remember events that happened in the past that impact the way that we live today. Like I'm thinking of the 9-11 memorial in New York City. You can go there, it's a physical place, and you can remember what happened in the past, but that you go there and remember, not just so that it's in your mind, but so that you remember that those kind of things should never happen again, that you should never forget. It's the same way of the uh, Hiroshima 
a peace memorial in Hiroshima, Japan. It's a physical place that reminds us that atrocities like that should never happen again. Physical things, physical places that help us remember something that happened in the past that has implications for how we live today. Wedding rings are like that. It's a physical thing. You wear them as a visual reminder of our love and our devotion and our commitment to our spouse and to no one else. All right, there are many examples in the Bible when God's people use physical things to remind them of something that happened in the past that still has implications for how we should live today. And in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is going to institute what today that we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And it's a physical way for us to remember, for us to celebrate how God has saved us through the sacrifice of Jesus. But before we get there, actually, I need to talk about another meal that God's people um, of Israel celebrated every single year to help them remember how God saved them from slavery, okay? It was a meal, it was called the Passover meal, and we can't understand Mark 14 and what Jesus does in Mark 14 if we don't understand Passover, okay? So way back in the book of Exodus, okay, well over a thousand years before the time of Jesus, God's people, the Israelites, they are slaves in Egypt, but God made a promise to them that one day he is going to rescue them. He is going to save them from slavery. And so what God does is he sends a, a series of terrible plagues over Egypt so that the leader of Egypt would set his people free. But if you know the story, the leader, Pharaoh, doesn't do it. Plague after plague after plague. And he says, no, I'm not going to let God's people go. But in Exodus 12, God sends one more plague. And God told Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, that he's going to strike down the firstborn of every single person living in Egypt. And God provided one way for his people to be spared from this judgment. He told his people, here's how you can avoid judgment. Kill a lamb, a lamb that has no blemish, and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your home. Okay? And Exodus chapter 12, verse 13 says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so when God executed this act of judgment, it was the blood of the lamb that was the sign to be the rescue of God's people from judgment. All right, and this came, this event, it came to be called the Passover. And it's one of the most powerful pictures of salvation in Scripture. That God provided a way of salvation from judgment by sacrificing a lamb without blemish. And that lamb was the substitute. God didn't just save the firstborn of Israelites from death. But he used this meal, he used the Passover to call out for himself a covenant people. And God wanted his people to remember, I saved you from slavery. He wanted them 
to remember the covenant that he made with them, that he would always be their God. And he wanted them to never, ever, ever forget what he did to rescue them. And so to help them never forget, God instructed his people to remember this Passover by celebrating a week-long feast every single year. And this feast culminated with a very special meal that was to be eaten together. And it was this Passover feast that was the central thing that made an Israelite an Israelite. Okay? It was um, incredibly important. In fact, the whole Jewish calendar year was based upon this great event. And so God's people would celebrate this every single year, and it would remind them, this is how God saved us from slavery. A lamb was killed, and its blood made it possible for them to be rescued from God's judgment. God made a covenant with them to be their people. Okay, so you have to understand how important Passover was for the Jewish people in Jesus' day. Right? It was this meal that God's people ate together to remind each other of how God rescued them. Let me say that again. It was a meal that God's people ate together to remind each other how God rescued them. Okay? So with that in mind, with that background of Passover in mind, let's now get to Mark chapter 14. In Mark 14, Jesus is with his disciples on the night before he will be arrested. And it's during the week of Passover. In fact, he's sitting down. Jesus goes and he sits down with his disciples and they are about to celebrate the Passover meal together. Okay, very special time. And he uses this opportunity to institute what today that we refer to as communion or the Lord's Supper. And he wants us to know, he wants us to remember that God is rescuing his people again. But this time, it's not a lamb who is being killed as a substitute, but Jesus himself will be killed as our substitute so that we can be saved. And he's inaugurating a new kind of of covenant with God and his people. Okay, so we're going to read together Mark chapter 14 verses 22 through 25. It reads this. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, uh, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now remember what's going on. Remember the context. They're sitting there together, Jesus and his disciples, eating together this meal that defined God's people, the Passover meal. Right? This was the time when God's people were to remember how God rescued them from slavery through the sacrificial death of a lamb. That's the context. And in this meal, Jesus takes this piece of bread and he breaks it. And he could have used it as an opportunity to talk about what God did in the past to save his people. 
But instead, he says, eat this. It represents my body. The body that would soon be beaten and tortured and nailed to a cross. And then Jesus takes a cup and he says, this cup represents the blood of the covenant. Jesus is making a new covenant. And the prophet, a prophet named Jeremiah had prophesied five centuries before, uh, before Jesus that God would make a new covenant and remember our sins no more. Jesus is saying that his blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, in the old covenant, given through Moses, the people of God had to obey, right? But they failed. All of us have failed. In the old covenant, uh, grace from God came from the law, which we all broke. And in the new covenant, grace comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And God promises to give forgiveness and his spirit and eternal life to everyone who trusts in Jesus. So in this meal, Jesus is saying, just like in the past, God saved his people through the Passover in Egypt, God is doing it again, except this time through Jesus. And this time it's not slavery from, uh, it's not rescuing from slavery, but it's the rescue from our sins. This time it's not a lamb who will be killed. It is God's only son who will be killed in place of us. God is rescuing us again, except this time he's doing it through his son, Jesus. So here's the point of the sermon. Just like the Passover meal, when we take communion, we remember how God saved us from sin through Jesus' sacrificial death and united us as the people of God. See, just how God used Passover and that meal to unite his people to define and identify who his people are, that's what God is doing, is doing now with communion. Jesus institutes this new meal, and now his disciples then, and now all of us who are believers are to partake in it, and when we do, we remember when we partake what God did through Jesus to save us from our sin and to unite us together as the people of God. That's what we remember. That's what we celebrate when we partake of communion. And from the very beginning of Christianity, when the church has gathered, they have eaten a piece of bread and they've they, uh, they drank a, a sip of wine or of grape juice as a way to remember what God did for them through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if Passover was the meal that identified Israelites as God's people, it is now through communion that identifies the new covenant people of God. And so when we partake of communion... It's a physical thing we do. It's a physical way that we declare that because of Jesus, because we are all saved through Jesus, we are also united together 
as the body of Christ. We are God's people. You see, communion, it's not just a time to individually reflect on what Jesus has done for you only. Now, you can do that. It's a good thing. When you partake of communion to reflect on yourself, to reflect on your own sin, that's a good thing to do. But when you partake of it, you're also declaring that you are united in Christ with everyone else around you who is united with Christ. That you are brothers and sisters together with this church family. And you remember, you declare that when you partake of communion. Which is why I loved taking communion at our church in Japan. Because we were a church and there it was it had a lot of non-Christians there, but it was also filled with many Christians. And many Christians from literally all over the world well over a dozen countries represented on any given Sunday of all different ages, from all different kinds of cultures, from all different kinds of uh, socio and political backgrounds. Very different. And yet, when we would partake of communion, we declared that for all of our differences, we are united. We are one. We are all of our colors, all of our different cultures and backgrounds. We're still one, united as the body of Christ. And when we partook of communion, that's what we were declaring. That's what we were saying together. And so because of what Jesus has done for us, this community that we're together of, this should be our closest community. Because of what Jesus has done for us, this community, through this community, the depressed have found hope. Addictions have been broken and physical needs have been met and single moms have found hope. And I know that, that we don't always agree on everything. There are many things that we view differently. And sometimes we may even frustrate each other. But we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we take communion together, we declare that unity as we reflect on Jesus together. And I wanted to talk so much about this today before we take communion, because this time um, of, of taking the Lord's Supper together historically, this has been historically one of the primary reasons the church has gathered together every single week. Of course, we worship and we sing songs and we learn from the Bible, but the earliest church would gather together to do those things, but also to partake of this meal, to partake of communion, to identify that we are one, to remember what God has done for us through Jesus, and to celebrate together that reality.